You're listening to the No Fibs podcast series where citizen journalists from around Australia cover important topics to inform fellow Australians on all things Auspol and Ausvotes. My name is Charlie Caruso and you can find me on Twitter via the smashing avocado hashtag. Today I'm delighted to be joined by independent candidate for New England, Adam Blakester. Adam, welcome to No Fibs. Thanks very much, Charlie. Now, how do we get here? What's led up to your decision to run as an independent candidate for, for New England? I, the, the short answer is I've studied and watched politics and government for nearly 40 years, but I've never been involved directly. And what's shifted uh, is probably quite obvious to most people that there's such a dysfunction in the federal parliament and particularly in the New England where our incumbent member is Barnaby Joyce, that I felt that now was the time to uh, engage with politics directly uh, for the first time in my life and my career, even though I've not directly been involved with it until now. I've always intended for it to be the last part of my working career and have studied it and worked alongside not only politics, but government at every level in myriad agencies and departments over the last 30 odd years of my working career. Uh, But the state of affairs in my view is so dire at the moment and so concerning that I felt now was the time to, to put myself forward as a candidate, even though it's about 10 years sooner than I was planning in my own life plan and own career plan. I think a moment like this, Uh, can't be let pass. I happen to agree with you and I think that there are quite a few uh, people from around the country feeling the same and that that drive being the dysfunction. Um, Can you explain what made you make the decision to be an independent as opposed to uh, join either a micro party or uh, one of the other miners? Uh, Part of the dysfunction in my view of political and, and public governance more generally in Australia is the bias and conflicts of interest that are playing out. And rather than having an Australian parliament, which is working in the best interests of the country and the various electorates that make up the country, we have a parliament that is overwhelmingly dominated by party interests rather than country interests. And for some people, that might be a shock. Uh, They might think that parties represent their interests. And while that's possible that they could, my own analysis is that overwhelmingly parties reflect the interests that are their interests, not their electorates and not the country. And a a very glaring example of that that's played out in the last two terms of federal parliament is in the area of energy. Uh, Energy and energy policy, the energy system is a fundamental area of need in our, in our society and our economy, uh, our standard of living, our, our uh, industry rests on a very efficient and effective system of energy, electricity, transport fuels, aviation fuels, industrial energy systems and the like. And we have seen a complete failure of energy policy and strategy to the point where in the last 10 years, electricity prices have doubled, gas prices have nearly tripled, And it's such a failure, yet the rhetoric from the parties is that they're going to fix it, even though the very same party, if we took the coalition, the incumbent uh, parliament, uh, majority parliamentarians, reckon they're going to solve it in the next term, even though they have failed miserably in the last terms. And their 
rhetoric reflects their interest back to large fossil fuel industrial uh, and commercial energy interests and is glaringly inconsistent with new technology uh, that is better than old technology, is glaringly inconsistent with industry bodies and regulatory bodies' views on what ought to be done, and glaringly different to what the industry thinks ought to be done, and glaringly different to what the electorate and public at large think ought to be done. Now, I could come up with other examples, but it is one of the most telling examples of where we have a parliament that is captured and dominated by party vested interests, rather than what good evidence and the populace as a large would like to see happen. I, uh, yeah, you are talking to the converted. This is something that um, I'm incredibly passionate about and, and believe wholeheartedly in everything you've said. In my interpretation, it's a um, the, the system that we have now isn't uh, the right environment for evidence-based policy. Could you talk a little bit about how uh, your candidacy and hopeful representation as an independent um, would steer us closer to um, conditions around evidence-based policy? Uh, with pleasure. So as an independent, what I, what I didn't say in that answer is that I am independent of everything except for one thing independent of vested interests, powerful interests, being bought, etc. independent of other parties, other candidates. What I'm not independent of is my electorate. And that's what I am campaigning on. That's what I'm offering to the electorate of New England, is that I will work unequivocally for you. I will commit to work for you. So it's not for me, it's for we. Now, how do we do that? Well, what we're doing is formulating a policy platform for the New England based on two things. What are the priorities, views, concerns and aspirations of the electorate? And we're taking input, uh, surveying the electorate, looking at existing surveys and polls, looking at existing plans that have been formulated with strong input from the electorate. So that's one part of it is what does the electorate want? What has the electorate's backing? The other part of it is what does research, evidence, facts and stats tell us ought be the priorities? And we're looking for where do those two overlap? So the policy platform that I will take to the election that the electorate will vote on, that policy platform will be priorities that are community-backed and evidence-based. And that, for me, as an independent, is something I'm very willing to commit to because it's essentially a follower leadership, if you like, that I will lead by following on what the electorate wants with, with a, a check on it in terms of it being having a good rationale so that it's not simply populism, but equally it's not what an expert would want that the electorate is not yet backing. So there's this check and balance there. The safety in that for me as an independent is without that, I have potentially a risk of 110,000 voters all believing they're entitled to a piece of me and that they all think that I need to act for them individually, which of course is impossible. It would just pull me in 110,000 directions. Coming back to how we are doing it, what we're doing is identifying the biggest priorities and those big ticket items are not only my priorities, they're priorities that are reflected in the electorate at large and with a myriad of other organisations, industry bodies, community leaders. And that's where the real power 
an influence of an independent starts to go toe to toe with a party because again it's not me it's we it's me leading on priorities that are widely shared priorities so it's collaborative leadership where this electorate can leverage a member of parliament as well as other organizations and other community leader influences then we really start to bend the curve in getting outcomes for the new england electorate and I'm sure, like myself, um, everything you've said sounds um, like a, a, f a breath of fresh air and um, largely what we've all been um, waiting for and hoping for. That, that aside, obviously competing against uh, the major parties isn't something that's um, easy, especially when they've um, got a lot of vested interest in keeping that seat and can throw a lot of money at it. How are you finding uh, your ability to compete for media attention and for uh, time with the electorate in comparison with the majors? It's, it is an enormous challenge. We're very aware we have quite a mountain to climb. In our, in our assessment, we need 500 volunteers, we need 5,000 donations, and we need 55,000 votes. It's enormous. And as an independent, we're starting very much from scratch. Where we have real strengths in the New England is that we have an incredible team of volunteers working with us on the campaign. Uh, there's a core team of two dozen. We still need more. So anyone who's listening and is interested, please contact us. We have, in addition to that, 100 more volunteers who are helping us at, with market stalls, with getting signs up, with working the telephone, the bush telegraph, of, as we call it, of just calling friends and work colleagues and family to ask what their priorities are for the election. Over and above that, uh, it is a real challenge to get around an electorate that's a little bit larger than Tasmania in geographic size over the course of uh, what we might have six to ten weeks from today. And so some of the strategies that we're, we're using to overcome all these challenges are the use of social media, of course, and using that in a really genuine, authentic way. Uh, we're, we're not interested in spin or PR. We want to have an authentic dialogue and communication with our community. Uh, we're also calling out to community groups, business chambers, local councils, community services to get together and organise meet the candidate forums so that not just I, but the other candidates as well can come to the different towns. There are 26 towns across the New England and two cities. We'd like to have as many meet the candidates forums in as many of those locations as we can so that Community members can come together at one time, meet all of the candidates at one moment, compare and contrast us in that one moment, and more efficiently be able to get their head around who we are, what we're offering, and communicate that back with their local community. And we think that together with mainstream media, together with social media and websites and emails and the like, has a reasonable chance of enabling the electorate to, to be aware of who not only me, but all the candidates are, and have the opportunity to consider who they trust. Because for me, that's the core of all of this, is an all I'm asking for is an opportunity to earn the confidence and trust. I, I don't want votes coming to me because they think I, you know, I look all right, or the colors of my campaign are all right, or um, you know, any of those superficial things. What I'd really like is for the electorate to have a sense of getting to know 
who I am, who my team are, uh, the policies that we represent. And if they have confidence in that, and if they are confident that it's a better offer for them as their representative than the other candidates, and therefore they vote for us, well, then that that would really warm the, the, the cockles of my heart, as the saying goes, so that we have a really authentic process of democracy as opposed to a manipulated process of politics. And do you have any concerns? Um, obviously, another disadvantage um, besides the money and the campaigning and the reach um, being an independent is up your place on the ballot. Um, do you have any concerns about how people may not necessarily understand the preferential voting and that if they'd put a major party in front, even if you were, say, um, preference second, that that would be almost a wasted vote for you. Are you a part of your policy around, um, you know, providing that information around how voting works and how, how that vote could count? Uh, yes. Uh, I think most Australians, and to be frank, even I, get confused having just had a state election on this side of the country in New South Wales, there were 360 odd candidates for the upper house. So for a voter who wanted to vote uh, for an upper house candidate, as an example, and to preference them in a way of their choosing, they would have to have had worked out how to order from one to 350 odd. It's just an extraordinarily complex situation. I know the federal parliament uh, voting system is different to the New South Wales parliament, so it's not quite the same, but that adds another layer of complexity for voters to understand how does it work in local government? How does it work in state government? How does it work in federal government? So all of that is rife for confusion, especially when the research in Australia would indicate that perhaps as many as four four in 10 voters, 40% of voters are really just given up on the system, uh, that they're so disenfranchised with the appalling politic, the bad conduct of parliamentarians, that they've disengaged with the process and are just ticking a box or maybe voting informally or donkey voting, or maybe not even voting at all. So, so these are very, very serious issues for us. And for me, part of my platform as a candidate is proper political and public governance. We don't have just a failure in the parliament. We have a failure in other areas of public governance, as we've seen with the banking commission, as we've seen with the churches around the child sexual abuse inquiry and uh, abuse of children and how that's been handled, as we're likely to see in the aged care uh, royal commission and uh, the disability royal commission. And we have more royal commissions coming. We really do have a crisis of public and political governance and need to be reviewing all of these arrangements to come back to systems that are clear and simple, but clear and simple in a way that still has integrity, that still is in effective, as opposed to simple that is stupid, which doesn't serve us uh, well at all. Now, as to how that's going to play out in the New England, I think it will depend on how many candidates we have. As at this minute that we're speaking, there are only four candidates who have declared for the upcoming federal election, one being the incumbent member, Barnaby Joyce with the Nationals, uh, the other two being a Labor candidate, 
and a Clive Palmer United uh, Australia Party candidate, and then myself as the only independent. And we'll just need to see what that looks like at the time that pre-polling begins, Charlie. And all going well, it remains still a rather small pool and, and the confusion, at least for the, the House of Representatives, is a low level of confusion because there's only a handful of candidates. But who knows what that will look like by the time pre-polling opens. So what are the, the key policy priorities for yourself or that has come out of um, speaking with the New England electorate and, and what they sort of want you to represent them on? Uh, look, so far, um, in addition to the proper governance, proper political governance that I've already mentioned, that that is the one that is a must-have for me. So even though, as I've said, I'm working as an independent genuinely for the electorate, the one exception to that, and it will be the only exception, is that working on proper political and public governance is mine, and that is coming through uh, from the electorate as well, not surprisingly, this real uh, dissatisfaction with the combative uh, nature of politics and the parliament, uh, with the internal leadership wrangling that we're seeing in the National Party, in the coalition, and the, the fighting between the Liberal Party and National Party and their coalition. So people are sick uh, to death of that. In addition to that, what's coming through loud and clear for the electorate is first and foremost, the, the economic piece. Uh, people's livelihoods, uh, their work, their businesses, and overwhelmingly, like most regional economies, micro, small and medium business is the engine room of our economy. And the economy is changing. It's going through these enormous structural changes with technology, uh, with automation, with the transition of our energy system, all of that is affecting uh, changes in the economy. And so how to support those changes, which is about business development, it's about economic diversification, it's about training and education and support uh, for key sectors and for people. That is a high priority. Uh, the other part of the income and work piece is the piece for people who are in requiring social support and welfare. And that is people on age pensions, it's people with disabilities, it's people uh, who are transitioning to work, whether that's young people coming into the workforce or people who've dropped out of the workforce and are looking for work again. That's a really high priority. In addition to that, the issues around the drought um, that's a, a crisis that is playing out in this electorate. And to be frank, it's almost like the Australian government are trying to cover it up. Uh, but this is a national crisis, not only in the New England, but elsewhere. We've seen the collapse of the Murray-Darling. Uh, we are connected to that Murray-Darling. Uh, part of the catchment is in our electorate that's being affected. And some of that catchment and the artesian basin and water aquifers is being threatened by proposed new mining in this electorate at a time when farmers and towns are on their knees because of the water crisis. We have numerous towns that have been on emergency water supplies uh, for over a year now. And most Australians don't even know about it, which, as I said, some of us are starting to wonder whether this is almost a political cover-up because it's so dire. Um, the future of farming, this drought will eventually break, though we're not sure just how long we're going to have to 
get through it. And so we need emergency support. But once it breaks, we do need to get onto the front foot and focus on the future of farming. And it's extraordinary that the current Australian government has no vision, no policy for the future of farming or for drought and water security. So these are coming through as really loud priorities. Um, and I'm starting to get a bit emotional now because people are being so affected by this. Um, and they really are on the brink. Uh, and not only the farmers and not only the, the direct supply chain industries that work with them, transport, uh, abattoirs, food processors, but the myriad of employees, the small towns that are on their knees because whether it's the hairdresser, uh, whether it's the local grocery store, the knock-on effect of a drought of this magnitude just can't be underestimated. It's incredible. Um, and then, then yeah, the broad, the well, maybe that's enough, Charlie. I'll pause there. They're, they're, they're three of the major policy priorities that are coming through. There are more that are coming through. And it, it beggars belief that we could that fellow Australians could be facing this kind of crisis and it not to be um, featured. And, and I certainly from being from WA, you know, it's something that is very rarely, um, not that I consume a huge amount of mass media admittedly, but I don't feel like it's getting the attention that it deserves from the media. Um, is that something that concerns you? It deeply concerns me. Uh, deeply concerns me. And as a more general statement, we have a real part of this crisis in why I say political and public governance, because the word public is the bit that we're all much more aware of. It's broader than the parliament. And we almost take it for granted because part of that public governance is public communication. And part of that is media. And part of that is mainstream media. And of course, a much more diverse media landscape now with internet-based media, social media, and, and channels of media such as No Fibs, which we're, we're speaking on now. Now, in that public sphere of communication, we either have good information, accurate information, that informs our mind, informs the public mind individually and collectively, so that we can then have informed views based on accurate information that, when elections come around, inform our vote. But a vote's just once every three years or four years. In between voting is when the overwhelming majority of issues are played out and decisions are made. People think that that one vote makes all of their decisions. Uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. The voting process is the tip of the tip of the tip of an iceberg. Uh, below the waterline of all of those tips is the committees, the inquiries, uh, the agencies, there are 162 agencies in the Australian government. There are thousands of agencies across three tiers of government. There are thousands of intergovernmental bodies, local through to international industry bodies and the like. And all of them are forming, discussing, deliberating and deciding on issues all day, every day. And at the moment, we have a crisis of poor information, misinformation, and people might think, oh, well, that's social media and it's all fake news. I think much more of it is playing out in mainstream media. And where is the accurate information about this drought? Where is the accurate information about the water crisis? Not only the fact that we've had overutilization, overdiversion, uh, and a drought play out to arrive at a situation where the Murray Darling is in collapse, ecological collapse. And that's one of numerous examples. But what's going on with the governance of that system? The South Australian Royal Commission 
concluded that the Murray-Darling Basin Authority had acted illegally and possibly corruptly. And the Minister for Water at the time that that occurred is the incumbent member of New England, Barnaby Joyce, who was also the Minister for Agriculture at that time. Now, where is the analysis and discussion of this? And, and what's happening right now, let alone those comments I've just made that relate to what's happened a year ago and two years ago. And so we have a real crisis of public information, media and other. And if we don't have that informing the public mind, we have no chance of getting to good discussion, good deliberation and good decisions. In fact, we try and jump over that whole process and come up with sound strategic answers in the best interests of the country with what? With opinion, with thought bubbles, with just how we feel in the moment. And that, I think, is closer to the truth of what's going on in Australia at the moment. And that, therefore, becomes instructive as to why we are facing such a crisis of such uh, severe proportions. Yeah, again, I think uh, there's, there's un, I have no doubt that anyone listening um, would be feeling similar to how I am, which is everything you're saying is really hitting a chord. Now, I know previously you mentioned, um, obviously on your website, you've got a call to action for volunteering and donations, which obviously are really important, uh, especially in the lead up to uh, Mayor's election. Is there anything else that anyone listening could do to support you um, in the coming weeks? Uh, yes, please. So the 500 volunteers, 5,000 donations, 55,000 votes. So the last one is for New England voters and anyone who is a voter, we'd ask them to just give us a look. Uh, give us a chance to earn your trust and confidence. Look at the website, come to the forums. Um, anyone interested to volunteer, please contact us through the website and there's a simple sign up form there. With regard to the donations, 5,000 times $100 on average, that's what we need to run a campaign all the way through to polling day. We expect that we will have as much support from outside the electorate across the country because of the interest, particularly in our incumbent member, Barnaby Joyce, and his significant status with the National Party, the Coalition, and with national politics more generally. So we really are calling out for donations from anyone and everyone in Australia who supports what we're doing, as well as donors in the electorate. Given what I've just said about the drought, we're well aware that people are gonna really struggle uh, here in this electorate. We've had hundreds of people already say to us, as much as they would love to donate money for our campaign, they are honestly struggling to keep food on the table at the moment. It's that serious. So. Anyone and everyone across Australia who can give us a hand, this is a shout out to you and we will be incredibly humbled by any and all support that you can provide. Well, that's amazing, I'm sure. Um, and I certainly would like to think that um, those who have heard what you've said um, and the common sense and logic that I feel, at least for me, has been missing in um, a lot of the political narrative lately, um, we'll hit a chord and, and, you know, the reality is we've got to support those willing to um, go into parliament and represent our best interests and not the interests of corporations and not the self-interest of parties and, you know, not the interests of the status quo, the interests of the electorate and the Australian people now and into the future. Um, so, uh, you know, just to, to summarise that, I think that what you're doing is um, 
noble and important and very much um, appreciated. Even all the way in WA, I, I'm so glad that um, people like yourself are stepping up and, um, you know, uh, putting yourself out there to represent us all. So thank you so much for coming and have a chat. And I look forward to perhaps speaking to you a little bit closer to the election. Look, that'd be lovely, Charlie. And all the way from WA, from a sand groper to a cockroach. I don't know how we got that uh, name in, in New South Wales. Um, um, you know, I, I think I'd just prefer to call myself Curry instead. Um, but this is national issues. And uh, on a national level, having worked a lot in WA over the years, I'm well aware of uh, how we struggle just because of geographic distance to comprehend and collaborate. But we do have a huge amount in common uh, and I'm only too aware of how WA often feels like it's another country because it gets forgotten in a very Eastern-centric, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra-centric kind of culture and, and politic. Uh, that's not me. I think so much of what we're talking about we share in common. And I think as we opened our dialogue around the state of politics uh, in the country, I think when we're truly listening to the electorate, to the public, and when we're truly building policies and priorities uh, for the country based on evidence as well, we find we share an enormous amount in common, much, much more in common than we have in difference. And those differences are often the things that make the spice of life. They don't divide us. They, they're the creative tensions of, of modern life. So thanks so much for your interest from the West Coast uh, to the... Uh, top of the mountain range over here on the east coast it's been a real pleasure and thanks so much for your interest and support and that was my interview with adam blackstar candidate for new england if you want to know more or want to support him please check him out online and on twitter and that's all from me signing out from the no fibs podcast my name is charlie caruso take care ciao